0: So my announcement for you is probably I'm gonna have the same thing every single week. And that is what our sermon notes look like for this series. We are handing out these binders. If you grabbed one last week, great. If you didn't and you would like one, you can grab one today. Don't grab one every single week, just take one. Uh, If you don't want a binder, that's okay as well. Do not feel like it's legalism like, oh, I gotta take a binder. This is to help you if you want to continue to learn through the things that we talk about every single week. So in the binders, uh, last week is week one, like if you grabbed one that's out there this week, it will have week one in it already. Say uh, you have a friend that comes with you week four and they're like, oh man, I'd, I'd really like to get those other weeks. You pick up a binder in week four, it's gonna have the first three weeks in the binder. And we're doing this so that each week we can give you more resources to go along with it. So this week, the resource that's outside—it's not on the communion tables—is outside, and it has the cost of forgiveness on one side, and then a Q and A with N.T. Wright on the back about Matthew six five on the back side of that. There is also an article. You don't have to grab it; it's rather long, but it deals with some of the subjects we're going to talk about today. You can grab one and read that as well. On the tables around the room, these are the sermon notes that are there. They are full pages, and as I told you last week, my mom, who had cancer surgery about a month, month and a half ago now, she is getting better. She's doing really well, uh, but she's still not comfortable coming. And when she prints the notes this time, she's like, you did them wrong. They're on one big piece of paper. They're supposed to be on like, like this. Like, no, this is how we're doing them so that they can fit into the binders. These are not in the binders outside, so grab one on the communion table so you have one. And then this is going to be these questions, vertical, uh, internal, horizontal, and action steps. Vertical questions are between us and God. We answer those. Internal questions, what is God doing inside of us? Horizontal, how does that live out in my life towards others? And then certain action steps to take. On the back this week is something I will talk about during the message, and we wanted all of you to be able to have that. So that's... I know it's a lot, it's a lot. But hey, we are going all out, binders and, and all. Binders and all. Welcome to Element if you are new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Those sermon notes that are on the communion tables are just those full sheets of the questions, not all the other resources. So if you like a binder, please feel free to grab one. They're right outside these doors. Again, don't feel like you have to take one if you don't want one. Uh, you can even ask us, I think, if you want to just email you those PDFs so you don't have to carry around a, a binder, but we can do that as well. Uh, If you have a smart device, you can download an app called Uversion. And if you download that app, you can click on More and then Events. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will have links to all of these things in the link tree. Uh, You'll have the the announcements, you'll have the verses we're going to cover today, you'll have links to all of the notes and all of that. And I hope. I got that all because I somehow between services, I cannot remember what I said the last service and I just butcher it in one of them. So hopefully that was good enough. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Matthew 18 verses 26 and 27. And it says this. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand the debt that we have been forgiven before you. And that would in turn change us and how we begin to live with those around us. That the vertical dimension of our forgiveness would become so real that we change inside so our horizontal relationships with those around us change as well. And it all starts with what you have done. So have us today begin to understand how good you are so that we would glorify you. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series through the really important concept of forgiveness in the Bible. This whole series came about because I read this book this year, probably the best book I've read this year by Tim Keller called Forgive. And I thought it was so good that I just wanted to plagiarize it and preach it to you as a series of sermons. And I'm not joking because I told the people on staff about that. And they're like, yeah, you should do that. And I'm like, well, great. It wasn't as easy as it sounds. It's really not. uh, We're recording this leadership podcast. You can get that if you would like to. You just talk to Sarah. She'll hook you up. Every week, we get together and we talk about the coming message, some questions that would be really good for us to ask one another as we start to walk through the concepts of forgiveness. And during one of these podcasts, I mentioned that one of the dysfunctional things that I see around element many times, and it's the whole world, but our inability to deal with the place. where we have fallen, where we've broken relationships, our shortcomings, our motivation behind them. And when that happens, we tend to avoid other people. It weakens our ministries. It is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are offering this series on forgiveness so that we as a body would learn how to forgive, not just one another, but those around us as well, that we'd repent with one another, that we would understand what forgiveness really is and that we would be a deeper gospel-centered community because that is who we want to be as a church. And so what we want you to do is to hear these messages really in order if you can. So if you miss a week, that's okay. We get that at summer, but get the podcast. If you don't know how, again, talk to Sarah. She'll, she'll hook you up on your phone. If you're like, I don't like podcast. You can watch the YouTube, but I'm telling you, I'm way better on podcast because you don't have to look at this. And and secondly, you can slow me down, which is great because it sounds like I've been drinking. It's like, hi, everybody. Or you can speed me up if I don't talk fast enough. It can be amazing for you. Uh, You can pick up a copy of the Forgive book if you'd like, help out Keller's estate, but I'm going to mostly give it to you front to back. And that's kind of the direction we want to go, understanding forgiveness. So like we did last week, I want to start this week with a video. This is my friend Deanna Carpenter.
1: Hi, my name is Deanna Carpenter. I decided to come back um specifically because it was on forgiveness the series was on forgiveness and there's been some things in my life where i've needed forgiveness um i've needed to forgive people Um, coming to church was really hard i just felt like this was god giving me a very open door um, to try to know him again and figure out how to forgive myself um, which has i think been the hardest part of forgiveness Um, and continuing to move towards forgiving the people in my life that have hurt me. There was a point in my life where I was not making good decisions, um, and those decisions affected uh, my relationship with people in the church, um, my relationship with my children. I felt like of all the places I should have been forgiven, the church and my um, group of Of people that I'd been spending time with should have been forgiving and I felt like they weren't I felt um, judged I felt like in many ways felt like I had this scarlet letter um, because everybody knew I was choosing sin and that was all I could see at that point in my life I think it's important to bring up how much I needed um, forgiveness from my kids Um, and how it's taken a few years. Uh, My daughter actually um, at 17 moved out um, to live with friends who were in the church. I didn't talk to her for a few years. She did not want to talk to me. She, didn't text me, nothing, didn't want anything to do with me because she was so angry at the way I had hurt her and the way that I had hurt her dad and our family. Um, And since then she has forgiven me and we have rebuilt our relationship and I can't take any credit for it. Um, But I can say that the power of forgiveness is real with the fact that she she did the work. Um she went to counseling and she forgave me and I needed that. I think I also needed to believe that God forgave me. My hope um throughout this series is to come to that actual belief that God has forgiven me and that I can continue coming to church imperfect, but knowing that he is choosing me and that he chose me even when I was broken and didn't want him, that I can also have peace. But I'm really thankful for um, this new opportunity to continue to try and walk back.
0: Alright, so if you have a Bible open to Matthew chapter 18, that is on page 534 if you're going to use one of the Bibles at Element. Now in Matthew 18 you get this parable of what's called the unforgiving servant. Uh, Tim Keller in his book actually calls Matthew 18, 23-35 the most sustained treatment of the subject of forgiveness in the New Testament. Now, what he does in the book is he puts it into a modern format. I don't think that we necessarily need to do that as long as we understand what's being said in the context. But what you will see is forgiveness is meant to lead to joy and release. Keller calls it life transforming potential, but it can still be misunderstood in a lot of ways, which you'll see in the parable. And I think the parable gives voice to many modern reasons why we don't want to forgive. We think people just aren't worthy enough. So if you do have a copy of the book, I'm going to be jumping between its voice and mine as we go. So this is where we start. Matthew 18, starting in verse 23, this is the offense. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master had ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, before you're like sold with his wife and children, we're not going to start there. We're going to Start at the very beginning. There is a king. That's the center of the story. You have a very benevolent king who is loaning out a lot of money to a lot of people who may not have been able to repay it. A debt of 10,000 talents. This is a deliberately unrealistic amount of money. Almost all commentators agree. So, how much is 10,000 talents? Well, the average person in Israel would make about one talent a year. Okay? One talent a year. So, today, Conservative estimate. Let's say the average person makes forty grand a year. That was the average eight years ago. Forty grand a year in California, you poverty. But anyway, if you were to add, you know extrapolate that out, this would be four hundred billion dollars. With the that's Doctor Evil money. Four hundred billion dollars. That's a lot of money. The Powerball never got that high. I mean, you got to like what one billion last week? We're like oh, one billion. billion. That is more than the gross national product than 80% of the countries on this earth. And so again, Jesus is using this extraordinary amount to make a point of a number we can't even imagine. Why would Jesus do this? Because he's going to help us to see our own debt to the great king of our lives. And Jesus is using this thing to stretch our imagination to the point of breaking, because this will point to our own forgiveness that our great king has deemed to forgive. Us. Now, Keller points out in the framework of the story that this would not have been a business or a personal loan because no king in real life would probably give anybody $10,000 talents. If this were a real king's kingdom, it would be entirely in jeopardy because of this decision, this guy's mismanagement or thievery. So a talent was the greatest denomination of currency in the Roman Empire at the time. I don't know what our largest bill we have today is $10,000, $100,000, $1 million, I don't, I don't know, but it's the largest one they had the Roman Empire. Ten thousand was the highest number which the greek language had a specific word for so it's like i would say um, a million trillion billion gazillion dollars you're like that doesn't even make sense exactly it's an infinite amount we can't get our head around it it's a debt that can't be measured the king confronts the servant he says make good on this debt and it says and since he could not pay Obviously, he could not pay. This is a debt nobody could pay. Ancient Israel and Rome, they didn't have bankruptcy courts. We'll just declare bankruptcy. You can't do that. The only thing you could do in a debt situation like this to try and pay some money back was to sell yourself and your family into servitude until the debt was paid. In servitude, you're not making the average wage of a talent a year. You don't make a minimum wage pressing license plates down at the penitentiary, right? So how long would it take if he actually was able to make a talent of year? 10,000 years of servitude. All right, so here's the next thing. The request, verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you back. Now, after understanding how big this debt is, is this something the king thinks this guy can even do? No, not at all, I'll pay you back. That's not patience, oh, have patience. That's like, can you be dumb for a minute? Can you set aside all of your wisdom and logic and believe me, the snake oil salesman, I'll pay you back. Falling on his knees signifies deep emotion. It's probably real sorrow uh, at wronging the king and seeing what might happen to him. My stepdad used to say this to me, My, he used to say, if you have wishes in one hand and poop in the other, which one gets full first? He didn't use the word poop. I can clean that up for you, by the way. But wishes don't mean anything. I wish I could pay this back. It doesn't mean anything. All the effort on this guy was only wishes. He cannot replace the money that he has lost for the kingdom or the king. The next thing then is the release. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Now, when when I was doing this, uh, my wife and I were just finishing the last season of Ted Lasso, and I wrote down, is the king daft? Because if you're in written, that means dumb, right? It's like, oh, too much Ted Lasso, whatever. But the king released him, forgave the debt. This means that the guy was freed from his liability and obligation. Now, when that servant says, have patience with me. Jesus is most likely referring to God himself because that word patience, it means to be slow, to boil or to melt. It is translated in the scriptures usually as long suffering. Who is called long suffering in the Bible? God, Jesus. Well, yeah, God. Okay. Same guy. Okay. So patience bears suffering instead of giving into it. And as we talked about last week, to forgive someone's debt, you absorb that yourself. If a friend borrows your car and totals your car through reckless driving, they bring it back and say, I can't pay for it. Well, if you say, that's okay, I forgive you, the price of the wrong doesn't evaporate into the air. Either you have to pay to get it fixed, buy a new car, or drive around with the damage. Either way, forgiveness means the cost of that wrong is moving from that person to you. And forgiveness in a lot of instances becomes a form of voluntary suffering because when you forgive, you don't retaliate. You're not seeking vengeance. We make the the promise to bear the cost ourselves. Now, if you've never heard this parable, you'd think that's a great place to stop. That's wonderful. This is not where the parable stops. The next thing is the new offense. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So the servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Ooh, if you've never heard that parable before, you're like, What? Exactly. It's like, what is happening? The guy who had been forgiven so much here didn't extend that to anybody else. And it's most likely because he doesn't understand his own forgiveness and he's self centered. This is like people today who focus on having enough. I just need enough. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15, the writer says, The leech has two daughters, give and give. That's more and more they cry. The focus on self is going to suck the joy and gratitude out of your own forgiveness that God has extended to you. Years ago, Lake San Antonio got down so low that it became filled with leeches. And if you go to swim or hop in there, the leeches would grab onto you. We call them blood suckers because they suck the blood out of you. Well, that's the image the Bible uses. I almost thought it would be really great to take some leeches and put them in bags and let you guys, when you take communion, just stick your hand in there, get a few leeches and be like, oh, yeah, this is what my life is like. But I didn't. You're welcome. (laughs) All right. I am benevolent. The way of the leech. Gimme, gimme, more and more. Tell when? Tell forever. You take your calculations from earlier. The second man owes the forgiven servant the equivalent of, depending on who you talk to, could be around 20 bucks, could be a few hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars. It's not nothing, but it's not $400 billion. This forgiven servant grabs this guy, starts choking him. The, the king didn't do that to him. And what the parable does is shows us the second guy responds exactly like the forgiven servant. What does he say? Have patience with me and I will pay you. The exact same words is what he says. And yet they're completely different people because the forgiven servant refuses to listen. When you cannot produce the money, he throws this guy into prison. What's the verdict? Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, as you should be, as you should be. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, when the king hears this, he is not happy. He summons the servant in. He basically says, how can anyone who has experienced a type of grace and mercy I showed you have such a cruel and self-centered and ungenerous attitude towards others? Then he throws the guy into prison, maybe right next to the guy that the servant threw in the prison. They're making license plates together. I don't know. But the parable now ends with something that gives a lot of people pause. This is the most difficult part. Verse 35. Jesus says, So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What? What? Yeah. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, there has been commentators who are arguing about what this means for decades and centuries, what Jesus says here. But central is this, from your heart. It's like, does the king restore previously forgiven debt? What is that? Okay, set all that aside. One thing is certain, when it comes to forgiveness, it is foolish to forgive others when God has already forgiven you. It comes from really not understanding our own forgiveness. And this is why when it comes to forgiveness, laying the foundation, and I know there's tons of arguments about, but what about this? And this person did that. And what about, and what about? Yeah, let's take all the whatabouts and put them over here. We will deal with those during this series, but let's just start with the foundation of where forgiveness starts. It starts with God's forgiveness of us. So we look in a mirror. It doesn't start with the wrong that was done to us. It starts with the wrongs that we have done to others. And so we take a step back and we ask, what have I done? How have I been forgiven? And that will enable us to come to the place where we offer that same forgiveness of others. Because there is not a person on this entire planet who has not received mercy from God in some way. Psalm 145, verse 9 The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. This whole psalm becomes a reminder of God's goodness. And yet, the way we treat other human beings falls infinitely short of the gracious mercy that God has given to every single one of us. So, let's talk about two things. Number one is this forgiveness is difficult. Can we just agree with that? Forgiveness is, yeah? Yeah, no, it's really easy. Okay, well, you're a weirdo. Uh, The rest of us, yeah, forgiveness is difficult. And we talked about this last week. I think Jesus' words are very realistic about that, more than most people would like to admit. When we look at God's forgiveness given to us in Christ, it's almost impossible to get our minds around it. This impossible debt, it's so large, we can't comprehend it. And this is why God's forgiveness must be a gift because we would never be able to fully understand it. When the servant says, give me time, I'll pay it back. The what? The whole $400 billion? It's laughable. Just like people today, when they go to God and they say, God, I'm going to be really good. I'll go to church every week. I'll eat my kale and my broccoli if you just give me this miraculous thing in my life. And that's coming from a position that we don't understand the miraculous that God has already done in our life to save us. We don't see the gracious gift that we have. What we do is we cry out more, more like the leech. Gimme, gimme, it's not enough. It's never enough. And that is why forgiveness is difficult for us to receive. No amount of groveling self-flagellation where people whip themselves and deny themselves like in movies or real life can undo the damage that we have done to ourselves and to other people into God's world. Our only hope is the astounding free grace and forgiveness of God himself. A false understanding of repentance and forgiveness becomes socially fatal in our lives. And so this story helps us see the core definition of forgiveness in the person of the king. What does the king do? Four things. Number one, the king brings the man before him. What that means is the actual debt is named. It's not, oh I'm going to gloss over it, I'm not going to say anything. The actual debt is named, so it starts with truth-telling. There is no cover-up, there's no half-truths. This is what the problem is. The second thing, then, is the king takes pity on him. That word pity, it means moved from your bowels. That's not because you ate something bad. That is the idea of compassion. You are moved inside. To have pity on somebody who has wronged you means you deliberately do the internal work of trying to understand the perpetrator's situation. And this is not a natural thing to do. What we want to do at the outset is think there's somebody, they're just wrong. Look how messed up they are. If they weren't messed up, they wouldn't do this thing. Look how they hurt me. They deserve to suffer. This, I don't mean to always talk about driving, but this happens all the time when I'm driving. I'm always like, why did that person pull in front of me and slow down? They must be on their way to hell. They're so horrible. I, what is that Hitler's cousin? I can't believe it. It's like in the back of my mind, I think, look how horrible they are. Maybe they're trying to get smart. Maybe. Maybe something's happened. They got a kid in the back seat who's freaking. I don't know. I just automatically assume the worst, and that is what most of us do. We don't put ourselves trying to see what is going on in this person's life. The king, representing God, thinks of the perpetrator not just as a villain, but as a human being who has fears and griefs. Third thing: the king then forgives the debt. To cancel the debt brings you to the heart of forgiveness. When the king forgave the debt, he absorbs that loss upon himself. Now, sometimes people try and overlook slights that have been done to them. Well, it wasn't about this or that. But forgiveness really means that when it comes down to it, you refuse to make somebody else suffer. You can, but you refused to do it. And that refusal is hard. Some people think that by remaining angry, they're giving the wrongdoers what they deserve. But in reality, you're enabling their actions to continue to hurt you. They're continuing to hurt you. If instead, bit by bit, you grant forgiveness, you eventually become free enough to forgive them. That doesn't mean that justice isn't involved somewhere in that, but it means you get to be free. The parable points to what we see in the scriptures, this costliness to God because the king bore the debt. Jesus chooses this mind-numbing amount to try and explain what this looks like. A great king would find it near impossible to forgive this without destabilizing his kingdom. When Jesus takes our sin upon himself at the cross, Mark 15, 34, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This points back to Psalm 22, verse 1. And the parable itself, we don't really get the full picture of what it costs God, but throughout the scriptures we do, and we don't even fully comprehend it. Jesus is God, God turns his back on God. What, What does that even look like? I think into eternity, we're not even gonna be able to fully understand this. And when we do, we're just gonna be broken at what God did to save us, what it cost him to take our sin upon himself and rescue us. This is so important for us to understand. And then what happens is the king released him. And what that means is the relationship between the man and the king was able to be restored. The man's no longer a debtor, and a violator of the king's trust, but he gets to be a citizen and a servant again. And really, the last part is what tends to raise questions about, you know, justice in that. But keep two things in mind. Forgiving and justice are meant to go hand in hand, which we'll talk about in in later weeks. Tim Keller writes this, though. In fact, if you don't forgive the person, your justice-seeking will likely veer into the territory of revenge. And it's not real justice anymore, it's just revenge. The one who truly forgives, like the king, becomes open to reconciliation, and that's hard. It also becomes dependent on the person you're forgiving, how they're going to respond, but you extend it. What you eventually see through the servant's life is that he does not respond to the king's forgiveness with genuine repentance and a genuine changed life. So the relationship with the king eventually breaks down again, but each of those steps are so crucial. In the Forgive book, it says, if you omit any of these four actions, which are what? Truth-telling, compassion, trying to understand where the other person is, canceling debt, releasing, you're not engaging in real forgiveness. Which leads to the second thing. Human forgiveness must be, must be based upon an experience of divine forgiveness. That is the only way it can really happen. The king extends his forgiveness first, just like God does to us. But the king then says that the servant's forgiveness should have been predicated on the forgiveness that he had already received. He should have been motivated by the king's forgiveness of him. God's divine mercy should change our hearts so we are able to begin to forgive like God forgave us. And if we will not offer forgiveness, it shows we probably don't really understand our own forgiveness. What does it say? Verse 33, the king says, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? human forgiveness is dependent upon divine forgiveness not the other way around and this is why our culture today is having such a hard time understanding what forgiveness is now the book says there's three basic dimensions to christian forgiveness if you take some of the sermon notes on the back there is an infographic that we put there so you can see it in a picture because some of you like pictures that's great some of you not so much but so first off there is the vertical forgiveness. That is God's forgiveness to us. God has forgiven us. Then second becomes this internal, as we begin to understand what that looks like, as it works in our hearts. Look what I've done to God. Look how He has forgiven me. He's taken my wrongs upon Himself. And then third, what comes out of that is the horizontal. And that's what goes out into the world around us as we begin to offer reconciliation to others. The horizontal is based on the internal. The internal is based on the vertical. This is what this graphic is meant to explain to us. Why didn't the king's forgiveness make that first servant a better forgiver? And I think it's the lack of authentic repentance. Uh, Martin Luther, the church reformer, would say that the whole Christian life, is one of repentance, returning to who God is calling us to be, understanding that call in our lives. And this is why Jesus says that forgiveness must be from the heart. This forgiven servant's expression of sorrow turned out to have been self-pity, It's not genuine contrition. There's no link between the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of his forgiveness. Jesus' parable here about forgiveness is not a feel-good story about people receiving God's forgiveness and then eagerly spreading that love to everybody else. What it really is is a story about a man asking for God's forgiveness and then being unchanged when he actually gets it. And for many of us, I think we live our lives that way, not even realizing we're doing it. All of Matthew chapter 18 kind of talks about these changed relationships that Christians should have. Matthew 18 verses 1 through 5 talks about how we should be marked by humility and service towards others rather than pride. Matthew chapter 18 verses 6 through 10 talks about a patience and an understanding regarding people's flaws. Matthew 18, 11 through 17 is about a readiness to reconcile these broken relationships. See, Jesus' parable, it tells us the truth. Most people who have professed to ask for God's forgiveness have not been trans, trans, uh, we haven't transformed by it. The place we see this most often in our lives, if you want to look at it, is in our relationships with other people. How do we treat other people? When we get hurt, what does that look like in our lives? This parable is an account of forgiveness failure because that is the usual human story. The movement from divine forgiveness to human forgiveness is constantly being frustrated by us. More, and more, gimme, give gimme, give by our own sin in our lives. Here's a question for you. Are Christian churches famous for their love and graciousness towards skeptics and outsiders and non-believers? Some, yeah, but not a whole lot of them. Here's a question for yourself. If you call yourself a professing Christian, are you known by your friends and your neighbors for being unusually loving, And generous and gracious and forgiving. And when I say that, I don't just mean, oh, you let everybody do whatever they want to do. We if we are not truth-telling like the king does, then we're not loving and we're not generous and we're not gracious and we're not forgiving. But what is our attitude and how we go about that? We need to hear this parable. God's mercy must, it will, when we understand it, make us merciful. And if it doesn't, we've never really understood it or accepted God's mercy in the first place. In the book, it says this, when you believe the gospel, that you are saved by sheer grace and the free forgiveness of God, and you still hold a grudge, at the very least, it shows that you are blocking the actual effect of the gospel in your life. doesn't mean you're not saved, but you're blocking the effect of what the gospel is going to do. And it may seem harsh that at the end, that unforgiving servant is thrown into jail, but it's kind of representative of the prison that every single one of us are in when we live that way when we live in ways of unforgiveness of one another, we're never going to forgive through trying harder to forgive. What we have to do is first meet the living God through repentance and faith. And we receive not just some abstract pardon, but we get a new identity. Jesus accepts us. We become justified and adopted. We become unconditionally loved children of God. C.S. Lewis writes this, Mere moral improvement is not redemption. Oh, I'm getting better. I must be. No, mere moral improvement is not redemption. One of our elders, Mike Harmon, he he says this. I think it's great. He goes, goes, don't tell me how bad I am. Tell me how good God is. Tell me how good the gospel is in my life because that's going to change me. So what is it that enables God to forgive us even though he is holy and just? And then what gives us the ability to forgive others? What gives us the internal resources and supernatural humility and confidence and love? It is the propitiating death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We talked about this two weeks ago. In the parable, you have a man who is a servant, but he is only living by the mercy of the king, and yet he is acting as if he were the king. And Jesus wants us to see ourselves in the story. When we who live only by God's mercy sit in judgment of others, we are putting ourselves in God's place. And isn't it sad when creation acts like the creator? And yet we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all live and act in our ways as if we have the right to be the judge of others. Keller writes this, the only thing that will change a servant from acting like a king is getting a view of the amazing love of the king who became a servant. So what we need to understand is that the rightful Lord of the entire universe, the only one who is worthy to sit on the judgment seat came and put himself in our place. And he pays the insurmountable debt that every single one of us owed. The judge was judged for us. And that fact, when we trust it to be true, humbles us out of any bitterness. Because we know that we are only saved by the long suffering, the patience and mercy of our king. Jesus dying on the cross, uh, Luke 23, 34 says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus doesn't say what humanity was doing wasn't wrong. What he says is it requires forgiveness. He didn't say, you're going to be sorry because if you were crucifying me and I had the power of Jesus, that's what I would have said. I'd be like, I'll come off this cross I'm I'll take you all out. Then you'll understand. Then you'll be sorry. But he doesn't. Jesus points out no one understood what the Father is doing even in that moment. And many times we still don't understand it all. Jesus wouldn't even talk to his torturers and accusers the way that we talk about one another, so mean and demeaning. And so what we need to do is see what Jesus came to do for us, that God in grace and patience can grow us into an understanding of what Jesus dying mercy actually means for every single one of us. This is the foundation of where we have to start in understanding forgiveness. And again, like I said, I know you probably have a million different questions. Well, what about this? And what about that? And what about when a person does this? And what about that? And what, when they won't repent? What about when? Okay, we will talk about all that during the series, but we have to start at the foundation of who we are called to be as God's people and what that means for us to understand the great forgiveness that we have first received. Our lives are not meant to be focused and fixated on everybody else. Our lives are meant to have its foundation in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Only in that will we begin to change. This is why at Element, every week, we take you to the end of this message and I take you to a place of communion. Why? Because Jesus says, when you meet, do this in remembrance of me. Get your eyes off of yourself. Remember what I have done. And that's where we have to start in all of our relationships. When we've been hurt and broken and we don't know what to do, we start at the place of the cross. We start here where God fulfills all of his promises to rescue and redeem his people. And so you come and you take that cracker like Christ's body was broken and you break it. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed because we can't pay for our own sin. It's this insurmountable debt, but Jesus can. And he does at the cross. And so we trust him and remember in this moment that we, when we trust Christ, are no longer our own. We were bought with a price. We are now his. And we can finally begin to walk in freedom and life again. If you need prayer, Maybe you today are in a spot where it's like you you have all these questions about forgiveness that are just swirling around in your mind and what about and what about. Maybe you hurt somebody else. Maybe someone's hurt you and you don't know what to do with that. They would love to pray with you right across the way in the lounge. You can go during music. You can go after service. They would love to be able to pray with you through some of these issues that may be going on right now. Um, If you have somebody in your life that you want to reconnect to and maybe begin to reconcile, but you don't know how and you'd like a mediator there, we will supply a mediator for you if you want to meet with somebody else. We will do that to begin to do the hard work of what it really means to understand God's forgiveness of us and to step back into relationship with one another as we get to display the great forgiveness that we have first received. Uh, We, our church, that doesn't pass an offering plate. There are offering boxes next to the walls and we give because God first gave to us, but it's a response. It's not a plate that we pass. It's like, I've got to get up. God has done this to me. And so in response, I will also give. That's how we give an element. And we encourage you to take, if you don't take the whole thing, take some of these sermon notes, at least with those questions and talk about those uh, vertical ones. What has God done? Internally, then what is God doing in you? And then horizontally, how is that meant to live out in your life? And then the action steps. And again, on the back of that, there's that infographic of, you know, the vertical, the internal, and the horizontal and how that all begins to come together. Guys, let's be a people who, even though we may not fully get it and live in it all the time, but have the foundation of what forgiveness is, that it focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. And that is where our salvation begins and ends in Him. Let's be those who understand and remember that. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would move us to understand the depth of our own forgiveness, not that it would make us self-centered and myopic, focusing upon ourselves, but that an understanding what we have been saved from would lead us to begin to love others, that would lead us into a greater freedom to begin to truly live the life that you have called us into, and that is a life with you. Not centered upon ourselves, not centered upon our wants, but become centered upon what we truly need, which is rescue and redemption in you. Have us begin to see more and more how good you are, how generous you have been to save us. So it would begin to move us out of this navel-gazing and then look to those around us so that we can begin to extend that same life-giving forgiveness that we have first received with others around us. As we gather in a room like this with, with a bunch of people, If we are honest, many times we feel isolated in places like this because there are times and seasons where we just don't understand the depth of what it meant for our own forgiveness and we have hurts that other people have done to us and hurts that we have done to other people and it feels almost impossible to live a brand new life. And yet you promise to make us into new creations, that we get to be new, we get to be restored, we get to be redeemed. So have us begin to live in that, the great restoration that we have received from you and that the foundation of how we begin to live with others is the foundation of the gospel. And that you'd be glorified by all that we say and do. And we ask this in your son's good name, amen. So as we drop the blinds, just take a moment. And what I want you to do is kind of do those, those three things that are on that graph for a moment. Think about God's forgiveness of you. Don't be afraid. You don't have to say anything out loud, but think of your own feelings, your own shortcomings in your own life and think about what God has extended to you in His own forgiveness, and then internally begin to deal with that. And then ask God, okay, God, now horizontally, as I begin to understand that, where do you want me to live this out in my life? Where do I need to extend this to others? Where do I need to reconcile? You know, what what does that look like? Please give me direction in this. Ask Him to do that honest, hard work in your own heart about who he is, what he has done, what that means in us, then how we begin to live that out. then come and take communion as we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. Sing a couple songs, we'll head out into the world, and hopefully there'll be a brand new foundation that we get to live in as we understand the gospel better and better.